What's up, classmates? Today's podcast episode is a class discussion recorded April 3rd on Instagram Live with Yasmin Satija. Yasmin is an entrepreneur, photographer, creative director based in Sydney, Australia. She's the founder of Culture Machine, a talent agency and studio specializing in fashion, photography, film, and art direction. Yasmin has worked on so many different campaigns, music videos, short films. She's worked with clients like Puma, New Balance, Champion, and all the way to Microsoft. As a small independent brand like us, it's really inspiring to speak to people like this who's built such a solid foundation and platform, and we aspire to take things to that level one day. And uh, Yasmin shared a, a lot about her background story, how she all got started, and where she's heading now. She has a lot of knowledge and experience in this industry. She shared with us a lot of advice. It was a very fun and valuable conversation, and we hope that you guys enjoy it. Tune in, stay safe, stay creative, and make sure to check out all our previous class discussion episodes available on all streaming platforms. Much love, guys. Peace. It's funny because we got the opposite right now. It's like late at night and then yeah. during like the afternoon. Yeah, I've got my morning coffee and you guys are like, it's morning. We got a drink. Wow. So, yeah. Coffee, <laughs> celery juice, what else? Celery juice. I had my morning celery juice. I can't juice. believe you do that to yourself. <laughs> celery juice for real? Well, oh. apparently, apparently the celery juice thing has like these amazing health properties. So I, I was yeah, like, yeah. well, in isolation, I'll do this. Like, I'll do heaps of experiments on myself. Yeah, so it cleans you the inside. Yeah, we just had carrot juice today. Actually, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good for your eyes, right? Carrot like juice. just yeah. celery, like no, no, like apple celery. No, no. Just straight like celery. It's got to nice. be organic. No leaves. Um, what? I bought- <laughs> <laughs> I bought a juicer and I googled like best juicer for celery juice and I got that juicer and I've been Amazing. doing that. So yeah, uh, we're doing that tomorrow morning. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. I'm gonna put up a YouTube video of my day. Oh, yeah. or something. I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna do the worst face when I'm gonna taste. I'll be like. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's disgusting. Yeah. I hold my nose as I drink it, and I'm like, nah, oh, you don't. You like it. We know you like it. <laughs> For some people on our side that may not know you, can you give us like a brief, short introduction of who you are and uh, what you do? Yes. Um, <laughs> I know you do a lot, but maybe just, it's, yeah. It's evolving daily. Um, I was actually right. read a meme yesterday that was like, words that we need to eliminate from our vocabulary in 2020, pivot. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I'm having a deja vu, to... by the way. What the fuck? I'm having a deja vu right now. That's crazy. Okay, keep I going. To, like, pivot my career many, many times. This is one major pivot right now where I'm like, oh, you're getting to see a lot more of my face and a lot more of me talking. Right. But um, essentially, uh, I started my company, Culture Machine, when I was 21. So I just graduated from university. I was doing a BA in communication, media arts and production. And when I graduated, I wanted to go and work for an ad agency, but um, that didn't work out because my mom decided to move back to Bali with me. And right. I was like, what the fuck do I do with this degree? Like, you know, right. and, and she's like, well, I'm opening a cafe and you've got to come and help me. So, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a no sweet deal though, going, going to Bali too. Like that's a different, yeah. I mean, I was experience. really not that stoked on it because um, right. I don't know, like I'm such a workaholic and I, and I do, mm-hmm. I love the hustle sure. and I love the bustle of the city. And yeah, I dope. was, 
And I knew going back to Bali meant taking a lot of that stuff away and, and having to pivot once again. Yeah. Um, so I went back to Bali with my mom and she opened Crate Cafe. And actually, it was our sixth birthday yesterday for Crate Cafe. But yeah, so went back to Bali and then kind of had to adapt again. And that's when I sort of started Culture Machine. Um, I actually went on a trip to LA, went to Coachella. And um, <laughs> I was 21, which was a great age to be because I could do all of the things, even though I don't drink. So I was like, yay, right. 21 in LA. I'm going to do exactly what I always do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not, not drink. Not but, drink. Anyway, I, was, <laughs> I was following um, some friends around who had a fashion label and I was documenting their whole trip and doing these videos and all this content. Yeah. I was shooting on film. My degree was very much focused on, on filmmaking, which is obviously like my long-term goal is to be a right. filmmaker. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, naturally picked up cameras and stuff and I love photography as well. And then when I got to Bali, I was like, well, the only skill I can offer really in this situation is freelance photography. So I right. guess I'll, I'll really focus on that. So yeah, so I was in Bali, did that trip to LA, did the Coachella thing, was taking photos and video, and then got back to Bali and was like, well, you know, I can offer my services to the the, the brands that were manufacturing in Bali because a lot yeah. of clothing manufacturing happens there. Right. Um, and so I just started offering my services out and wanting to offer a point of difference in terms of the type of content. I'd come from Sydney and I was very inspired by what was happening in Melbourne and street style. And I didn't want to just shoot bikinis. I just, I mean, it's not my vibe. I don't really like spend that much time at the beach, right. really enough. So <laughs> I, I was just kind of like, okay, well, how can I um, apply this kind of Sydney, Melbourne aesthetic to what's happening in Bali? And, and actually people really liked that because a lot of right. people were like, oh, you know, palm trees and, 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 uh, and beaches and stuff. We're not really selling to that market. We're selling yeah. to the city. So if you can offer us that, then, then let's do it. So started doing that and, nice. then, and then the influencer thing started happening. So I just got lucky and I got a call from a company in Melbourne and they were like, we need you to do our shoot. Can you produce it? All of that, get the stylist, makeup artist. And the model happened to be Sahara Ray before she was Sahara Ray. And well, like before she was huge on Instagram and, and then Mimi Elishiri came as her friend, ended up shooting both of them. That shoot kind of launched my career as a photographer that was connected with influencers. And they stayed at my house in Bali and I got to observe. No way literally the rise of the influencer and wow. it was the first time i saw sponsored posts it was the first time i saw gifting and because they were staying with me i was seeing all this happening around me and i was like wait a second if i can team up my services in photography with their services in publishing then that's very uh lucrative i suppose and it's very like what what brands want right now so i basically saw influencers as a gateway to clients for me as a photographer. This was before I was actively using my platform. So I started selling social media packages and realizing that, that I was acting as like an agent basically for, for influencers that were coming to Bali. At 21? Um, I, was, I would have been about 23 at this time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so I, I lived in Bali for three years, helped my mom out marketing her cafe, bringing all the influencers to her cafe. So the way she's marketed, her cafe was really unique because it was less about taking photos of food and more about showing who was there. So um, yeah. Crate is known much more of it as a community than it is as as a, as a plate, like a, as a restaurant or cafe. It's it's a, and it's a family business. Like it's me, my yeah, mom, right. and then my my brother and my dad obviously are involved. And I've got a store yeah. next door to my mom's cafe now, where it's a boutique store where I sell. No way. Nice. That I started shooting when I was twenty one. That's so crazy. What? That's sick.
Um, and then the next chapter was moving back to Sydney when I decided mum was all good with the cafe and I was like, I'm going to go back to Sydney. Um, <laughs> okay, mum, it's house. fine. <laughs> I was like, mum, I'm, I'm 23 now, we good. My time, um, my turn. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I moved back to Sydney and I moved into a, like the most amazing creative house with my brother who started making memes at that time and a whole bunch of other people. That's and how I knew about you, actually. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. I have a friend, actually my ex, her little sister, she was a fan of your brother, you know, and she yeah. made videos. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so the, the whole culture machine thing, and I was like, wow, this is so sick. And we started actually doing the same thing with like friends, you know, like other shooters. And every Sunday we would like book four to five models and we were like five six photographers we like walk on the city you know like took photos it was crazy and that was pretty much all because of uh your whole vibe like the, your whole movement it was sick oh, yeah. oh that makes me feel so that's so nice um, was, <laughs> that was four years think, ago <laughs> well well that's the funny thing i think um some people only know me now and then some people know me from way back and i get so excited when people are like i remember free radical tv i remember yeah I can you tell us that. about that like that yeah whole, so, before um, you became the whole culture machine like before that whole thing kind of came to fruition yeah so i i started culture machine like i said straight out of uni but it was a, a different thing then right um, okay what it is now so it's, so I started Polish Machine ages ago and it was very much like me as a one man show, one woman show. And then um, when I moved back to Sydney, I moved into a house obviously with a bunch of other creatives. And yeah. my brother was doing an engineering degree. He what? was at UNSW doing mining engineering. He, had, he didn't have an Instagram. He didn't have Facebook. He was one of those kind of sus dudes that had like four different phone numbers and was very difficult to contact. That makes no sense to be honest. <laughs> no, right? And um, he, uh, which is actually funny because the recent episode I put out for ISO TV is this girl G who was his pen pal. Like he didn't have, he didn't use technology. He had literally had a pen pal back before he was <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, basically he was watching what I was doing and how I was uh, managing influencers. I started managing Cap Ebbs, who was a big part of that. And he was watching us go out and do shoots and have fun and somehow monetize it. And he was just like, I'm going to see how easy it is to become Instagram famous. And I'm going to do a social yeah. experiment and turn myself into an influencer. And yeah, that was right. the beginning of your mum's dad. His girlfriend's watching right now. <laughs> That's what came from Polly. So basically... Your mum's your dad and what Kai did um, and everything in that house. It was a real synergy where for the first time in, since we were little kids, he and I were sort of creating content, very different content, but I think both with the same kind of energy of we have this platform in front of us, we have social media and what's actually happening in our, in our home, we think is so exciting. I wonder if anybody else wants to look at it as well. So I became my brother's manager and started like oh. managing his, his contracts because he started, like he was just doing it for fun. And I remember he just said to me, oh, can you film this thing on my phone? And I never understood what the hell he was doing. And then he'd edit it and then it would come out and I'd be like, oh my God, what the fuck? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so then Free Rad, Free Radical TV was me observing this and being like, Oh my God, the, the behind the scenes of all of this happening is fascinating. How did you guys meet with those guys? Um, so, okay, so obviously my brother is Kai, so we grew up together. Oh, <laughs> oh wow, your brother, you go. We met through mom and dad. So he started um, Free Radical TV? 
No, so free ride was actually Luca and I. So okay. Luca Robenheimer was the guy that looked like um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. And he was, already, he was already an amazing filmmaker. And I'd met him in Bali through my ex-boyfriend. My ex-boyfriend was a part of it as well. And um, yeah, so we all, we all just were, became like really good friends. And Luca already had this handy cam that he would take everywhere with him. And, yeah. I, and we started like throwing the handy cam around the house. So I'd film him, he'd film me. Kai would film Kath, whatever. And then we did this trip to LA where we, we stayed in Joshua, not Joshua Tree, what's the other one? The Johnson Valley. We stayed in the Johnson Valley with another guy who was this motocross dude and he had this ranch. Long story short, um, I was like, let's document our trip to LA because like, I know Australians would be interested in that using the same kind of format. We were staying, I'd, I'd shot for a bikini label and the lady that I'd shot for was, it was in Bali and she was Californian. And she said to me, if you ever come to Cali, hit me up because I've got, oh. I live in a boat house, like a boat warehouse what? and I can accommodate. <laughs> so I, so I, messaged, so magic. Like, dude, I messaged her like a year later. Her name's Kimsey, shout out Kimsey. And I was like, hey, you know that offer? Do you reckon you could accommodate five of us? And she was like, <laughs> she was like yeah, no worries. I'll put some more mattresses on the floor. So already this no. trip was, was, because was, I sort of acted as a producer for like whatever we were doing and I would find where we would stay and what we would do and whatever. Right. So we get there and I'm like, we need to fucking document this. So <laughs> we were... We were throwing the hand account around and at the end of each night, we'd come back to the boat shed and Luca would sit on his computer and edit that footage. So very free ride TV is very much like Luca's, Luca's brains Thanks, and, yeah. and right. all of our random, random footage. And then I was like, you know, let's call it free ride TV. Let's put it on YouTube and see how it goes. And like, because there was no structure to it, it, I don't think it wasn't the format that people were used to on YouTube. Like YouTube was like structured. Here's a story. Here's narration, whatever. Free ride was just <laughs> one minute we're dressed as mermaids. The next minute we're motocross riding. Like, there was no context. No. And a lot of people's feedback was like, I don't get it. <laughs> it's just a vibe. But it's, it's just a vibe. It's yeah. a vibe. It's, yeah. it's, just, it's just like stream of consciousness vibe. So yeah. that was free rad TV. So yeah, so there was the chapter of Culture Machine, your mum's mm. dad and free rad TV. They were all a synergy together. And that was the right. three years that we lived in that house in Bondi. And it was honestly the most wild time of my life because I can't <laughs> believe that we lived that. Like I don't know how even just like the financial side of affording that, like we were living in a pretty big house in the Eastern suburbs and in a prime location. And there were four of us paying rent for that. And four of us were freelancers and, um, all of, and I was managing everyone. So it was like, <laughs> I was kind of, <laughs> but that's almost like, like the like, dream of, of a lot of creators out there is like to, to live in a house, with their friends and create and you know yeah have all that and it, yeah, and it was amazing. it was very much the dream for a lot of it but then mm -hmm. the, the, the downside of it is it can ruin friendships it can ruin right. and it can get way too intense which is sort of what happened for us i think also because we were so young and we all started i was the eldest out of everyone else 23 so everyone else was like mm. 21 and um and kath was like 18 at the time so Whoa. you go through this massive period of growth and then you get to a point where you know you're like is this the path i want to go down is this right. really what i want to do so we all slowly started deciding that we wanted to do it's our own thing um yeah so luca moved back to noosa and he kept making films kale and i broke up and he went to la and then 
Kath stayed here and then I went back to Bali and no, then I traveled. I went to New York, London, Tokyo, and I just did my, like my own yeah. thing. Um, and then I just kind of put like poetry machine on a bit of hiatus while I discovered who I wanted to be. Cause I think <laughs> losing the faces of culture machine was so upsetting for me because I was like, what is my company and what is culture machine without the faces of culture machine? And everyone right. was well, so attached to each of us as a character. Um, and so when that died, I needed to decide, do I still want to keep doing this? And I realized that I do. And, and I had been before Bondi, I was doing it in Bali and now I've, it's got a whole new face and I've got a whole new team around me. So I think at the, what I had to realize was that the core of culture machine is me being just like fascinated by people and really wanting to create things all the time, but learning that maybe living with them is not the best idea. Right. <laughs> Man, yeah. Regardless, that, that must have been like a big learning curve for, for you as, uh, as someone who wanted to take things to, you know, another level and with your direction. And I, I just want to know from a standpoint, because I know you have a lot of roles. So like, what, what do you do? Like, like you style, I, I've seen, I've seen videos up, of like, like, you model, sure. you, you act, you, you do, I don't. Like, no. I saw that we, um, we saw that uh, Microsoft uh, ad or something on on your. Oh website. yeah, um, I I won a grant for that. So. Um, oh okay, I, cool. Oh. So Microsoft put yeah. out this challenge, and I'm I'm as you know, I love a challenge. I love a project. Come at me. Um, <laughs> so they were like, um, you've got 48 hours. They're like, you've got 48 hours to pitch to us an idea. So I was in, right. I was in this convention with a bunch of other artists in Sydney, and some of them were like. Uh, filmmakers, illustrators, like we were all, we all had different mediums and different fields. And at the end of the dinner convention thing, they were like, okay, mm -hmm. Microsoft has never done this before. We have this exciting announcement. Within 48 hours, we need you to pitch an idea. And the theme is anything but ordinary. Show us how you can use Microsoft technology to create something and you win $10,000. And I was wow. like, whoa. Let's do it. <laughs> so, okay. So I knew that I wanted to get back into filmmaking because obviously that's what I studied. And um, I was, I'm very interested in like how you can involve an audience in creating. And that's obviously like as a director as well. So um, I basically pitched to them this idea where I would create a three part fashion film and I would get the audience to vote on Instagram poll at the mm. end of each night, collate the that's votes good. and edit the version that they wanted. So it was sort of like choose your own adventure, but not because it was a collective vote. So it was not the individual wanting it. It was a whole community wanting it. Yeah, right. And when I asked them to vote, so for example, the first episode, you see me in a diner and the phone calls and you are, you know, I asked them to vote. Do I pick up the phone or do I not? And what I loved most was I asked people to justify why they voted, which gave me an insight into the psyche of the audience and what they want to see and whether or not they were concerned about me as a real person or me as a character. So some people were like, wow. oh, I want her to pick up the phone because it's a new character and it's going to create tension and it's going to get exciting, right? So like the psychology of an audience is you get to live things through art that you don't get to live online. So some people were seeing me as a real character and like this one where it's like, does she, does she get on the bicycle or does she flag down the car that's coming with a stranger? And some people were like, oh, the stranger could, you know, put her in danger. Like we want to see that. And other people were like, no, take the bicycle. <laughs> I get hurt. <laughs> but it's like, it's art. I was playing characters and cool. I was also really interested in exploring the characters I play online. Because as you said, I do a lot of things and 
I adapt online and I guess I'm pivoting right now. So I'm performing every day to whoever I'm, whoever's watching me. And I wanted right. to really reinforce that whole, I think we got it stuck in this mindset that Instagram and social media is authentic. And I really wanted people to start critically looking at the imagery that they're receiving and don't believe everything. Like I'm playing yeah. a character just as everybody else is performing. So um, see it for what it is. And, and, and I just kind of wanted to run with that as, as a concept. That's so I played cool. three versions yeah. of myself to be like, you can know me, but you're not going to get to know someone unless, you know, it's hard because it's curated online and I'm right. in control of how you see me. So just understand that. Um, so it was like multi-levels of psychology that I was interested in, which I think goes back to the roots of everything that I make is I'm interested in people and how people work. And um, yeah, so that was Microsoft. So I won that grant, $10,000. Nice. We hired a dolly, we hired a unit, we had a generator, we had a, like four, three day, three nights of shooting. Cause I wanted, of course, I wanted it all at night inspired by Gregory Crudson, which meant like we had to get lights and power on this <laughs> dead end street in Maroubra. And actually that project brought together the production team that I now work with. So the wow, cinematographer, nice. the production designer, I work with the same composers every time I make something to kill a dead man, shout out to them. They create bespoke tracks and they do all of our sound design for everything that we do now. So out of that project, it was, it was all of the money went into production. It was a love project, but just seeing how enthusiastic a group of young people are to create something reminded me of uni. It was like, I was yeah. back at uni. Right. And the then community. I was like, to give back, I, I have connection with clients and I can make sure at least that these people get paid on the next project that I'm on. So um, that's what culture machine is now. It's that production team. We've got the agency girls. We've you got still the have girls. the same team, right? Um, I mean, it's evolved. Like I don't represent the same talent anymore. I've got a whole new board of talent and I want to keep refreshing it as well. Like yeah. I'm really excited about the people I'm working with at the moment, but they're all, they all do lots of things. And I think yeah. what I wanted with this agency was like, it's not about you being a model. It's about you being a person that I can market. So whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. I can market that for you. It's less about here, you know, go to a casting with, you know, a, a thousand other people that look like you where, you know, they're not going to ask you what you think or they're not going to ask you how you feel. Um, and a lot of the time I do, I shoot majority of their portfolio. And now that I have a studio, I invite other photographers I know to come in and shoot their portfolio. So everything is really that's so the same way. Yeah, that's so smart. To yeah. Be honest. I love it. Yeah. So, so yeah, the people have shifted and changed and it's going to evolve as I go along. But I think mm -hmm. at the core, it's maintained this whole thing where I, my whole mission was always, I want to get my friends employed. I want to get my friends That's involved. It. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And so production team, you're talking about makeup artists, stylists, photographers, yeah. like you have all, when you had that thing where like, hey, it's time to do like a, have a studio, you know, like have the whole production thing. That's so crazy to yeah honest. how did this whole like studio come about and like like take take us through like this the journey of it so okay so um so i'm back in sydney uh everyone's I, i've done my traveling bondi thing stops my brother moved back to bali he started music festivals i came back and i wasn't living anywhere i was just hopping around and i didn't have a ground i didn't have a base right. and that's why i was like you know do i just pursue yasmin as a freelancer and go and get representation from another agency or do i give this another shot rebuild yeah. the community around me and put my feet firmly on the ground that's here because yeah. i think like being a sagittarius um I, <laughs> 
I love travel. I love to mix things up. I don't like the idea of being shackled to one place or one thing. Right. Yeah. But I also realize that sometimes that hurt. It's it, it deters me from doing stuff because I'm like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. So I've had to really train myself to go. It's okay to do lots of things, but you do need to focus on one thing at a time. And right. I thought, I think that challenging myself to get a physical space and lock myself into a lease meant you're on the ground, Yasmin. You can't just get up and leave and go to London. You've got rent. Right. So part of, me, part of it was me keeping myself accountable. But the other part was I got to a point in photography where I was, I was uncomfortable calling myself a photographer because I, I hadn't been formally trained. Like I said, I studied filmmaking, which was much more theory based and right. focusing on directing and telling stories. Photography, I was never trained technically. And so I was like, I can't really call myself a photographer and have that as my primary career. If, I, if I'm scared to go in a studio. So I thought, do I go back to uni or do I just get a space, invest in some gear and That's just it. teach myself? So I decided to do that and I got the studio space yeah. and I thought, well, you know, I need to monetize it. So I'll, I'll rent it out. But of course I was really only just covering costs. So I was like, I just want this space for me. But if that means that I can cover costs and get through it. And then I was also just offering free time out to the artists around me. Cause again, I was like, I don't want to be in a big empty space on my own. I want people right. around me. Yeah. So, um, so I had wow. my clients hiring it for commercial jobs and then I was offering time to young photographers and linking them up with our models and saying, well, you're giving me something, I'm giving you something. If you shoot for their portfolio, you get to use the studio and, and learn how to use studio gear. So that became like this really beautiful process where we, we're just pushing out content every day. So um, it's a bit sad now because obviously with the virus and all the- Yeah, I must like calm and shit, yeah. Yeah, it means the studio for the next three months is gonna be empty. So I'm like trying to figure out ways to continue this. And I think that's where this, this whole ISO series was born i was like i have this amazing community yeah, around me that i spent a lot of time like developing and i i don't want to lose those connections and also like i'm such a people person i get so excited by people even these kinds of conversations like i was like if i'm not in my studio then what the hell am i gonna do talking about like learning you know like about like how to how to manage a studio you know the talent talent agency too I think when you when you start doing photography and through the years, you kind of learn a little bit about everything, right? Like about like how to manage a studio, like uh, agencies, like yeah. like a model agents, you know. Yeah. So like you're gonna learn on the go too, you know. But of yes. course, when you're in this spot, you know, you're like, okay, now things got real, you know, and things get like a little bit different, you know. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, that's like the dream for so many photographers, you know, to have like, even me, I said it like maybe three years ago and I visualized in my head, I was like, one day I'm going to have a, an agency, you know, I want to have models. I want to show them my values. I want to like actually educate them and give them like an energy. So they go to a set yeah. and people know they're from my agency, you know, Yeah. and the studio, like yeah. that's so sick, you know? Yeah. And that's what it was, that's what it was with the agency side. Like when I first started, of course, you know, I didn't have a background in, in managing people, except that my mum had worked at a modeling agency when I was younger. Your mom is, so I, your mom is crazy. She's amazing. Oh, mom, mom's wow. done like every, every no, respect to mom. Go mom. Yeah, go mom. <laughs> so my, my mom is a massive reason why I am who I am and why I, I am nice. not afraid to take risks because I watched her take so many risks um, when that's I was growing great. up. Um, but also back it up with like really hard work and it's just like she's like mm. if you want 
to forge your own path. You don't work nine to five. You work 24 seven. You're constantly working. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, which yeah. is pretty good because I like doing that. So anyway, um, yeah. So my mom had worked in a modeling agency when I was much younger. And I guess I observed that side of things, but I very much threw myself in the deep end and I was very transparent with the talent that I was working with. I was like, Hey, like, I'm really like, I'm a new agent, but I will dedicate all of my time to you because I'm not working on a board of a thousand people. I'm working for you. And that's yeah. why you know, when Kath and I were working together, it was such a great synergy because she, we would sit down and have coffee and she'd be like, I want to work with this client, this client, this client. And then I'd be like, great, let's think of ideas of content you can make and I'll send it to them and then they'll get to see you and then they'll hire you. And so many times that's what happened. She'd be like, I want to work for this activewear company. And I go, right, let's go out and film an activewear video and I'll send it to them. I'll find the PR contact and no. send it to them. So it was very so like- So it was, was almost like a, a pitch towards like that type of content that they curate themselves. So you guys exactly. will create your own content and send it to yeah. them. I was like, wow, that's cool. It was like I, I would create uh, like prototypes and sort of like spec right. ads. Say, um, but obviously without the production value of a spec ad, it was sort of like a spec ad in the sense that it's like, you want to work for this company, make content that you know that company's going to like, right. send it to them, and then they have to hire you. You know, you basically right. like convince them that they want you. So I was mm. doing a lot of that back, back end background work and I really enjoyed that side of it. So I was like, I, I, am, I am marketing and I'm branding a personality or a person. And then I'm also acting as an agent by negotiating those contracts and managing. So the negotiating side, I don't like. And I now work with a lady in Melbourne who's actually one of my oldest friends. And she got me all of my big jobs in photography. So I've linked up with her and we co-manage talent now. So she does a lot of the negotiating. And then I just do the actual branding and creating their portfolios and stuff. And how, how big is your team now? Um, so we're a freelance team, so there's so many of us, but I would say yeah, like within our, within our network, there's probably about 30 people, like as far as stylists, makeup artists, right. models, um, I have amazing assistants that have, have, have just come to me and gone, I really want to intern. I want to learn. So I've got like five assistants allocated to each day of the week and they'll just text me and they'll be like, what's on today? Can I come in? And I'm like, sure. If you want to come in, ah, and then cool. so, so lovely and Whoa. so eager to learn. So, um, yeah, but I, my full, I've got the person who I work with pretty much all the time is Shelly, who actually I met, she DM'd me about, I think about two years ago now saying, hey, I'm really interested in photography. Can I assist you? Brought her on a shoot. My digiop Declan had her assisting him and he was like, whoever that girl is, get her back. She's so enthusiastic and you need to work with her. So I messaged her and I was like, hey, I'm doing this thing for Microsoft if you want to be involved as a producer. And so she did. She had to knock on everyone's door on this <laughs> one street and find a family that would let us shoot in their front window for free because we had no budget left. And she did it. And I was like, wow. this girl. And also she's just so lovely and she played my body double too. So after that, I was like, you know what? Can I hire you on a casual basis? And we'll start working together and I got the studio and she became studio manager. And so she's kind of like the main part of my team uh, that I work with all the time. Right. Wow. Yo, we got a challenge right here. Okay. Oh. Yasmin. Yeah. Someone is asking, what does someone need to do to join the culture machine network? <laughs> Email me. <laughs> <laughs> Email me and send me a, send me a pitch. So I'm so, I always say to people, you know, I have a public profile, which means I'm an open door if you want to contact me. Like, I, right. when people are like, oh, you know, how do you contact your idols? Just hit them up. 
Like the worst that can happen is that they don't respond. But I look at everything because I'm genuinely really interested in what people are working on and, and it inspires me. So email me, send me something. If there's something you want to do and there's something you want to work on, if the more like the more detailed your pitch is, the more likely I am to try and make it happen as well. How important do you think is uh, is having a personal brand, like what you're doing mm. right now? Yeah. Like, cause, yeah. Because I feel like it's, that's kind of the core of what people are kind of looking forward to when they look at Culture Machine. It's like, you're the face of it. So they're like, I don't know. Yeah, how important is that, you would say? It's funny because I have a really um, conflicting perspective on it. Like I, mm -hmm. did, I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with uh, a lovely guy who asked me some really interesting questions. And one of them was, um, you know, how I feel about having a public profile and, and being the face of something. And right. I definitely got to a point towards the end of last year where I was really, um, it was really jarring for me to have a public profile because I just felt like everything I wanted to do, um, I was self critiquing so much because I was so worried about offending people right. or not aligning yeah. with our values or it, it, it's in a way being that accountable is great in the sense that you are really thinking about everything. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it can actually suppress your creativity. Because when I was sure. in one, when I was at one, two, three, and I was more in the background, one, two, three, sorry, was the house in Bondi. We, we lived right. at one, two, three, Ebley. Okay. Um, when I was more of a manager behind the scenes, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't give me as much anxiety. Whereas mm -hmm. now, because I'm accountable for everything I do and coach machine is Yasmin in a lot of ways, right. it's quite a scary place to be in because it it's like someone said to me once, um, there's, there's pros and cons to it. The, the pros are, yes, people become attached to a person and become attached to a personality. Let's be real. We all want to engage with real stories and real people. I yeah. can post my work as much as I want, but people aren't <laughs> going to be as interested in a photo from an editorial shoot as they are from something like this. Right. Um, and I noticed that quite early on when with Culture Machine, as a, it's more of a portfolio, our Instagram account, nowhere near as much engagement as me posting what I'm doing. And Behind the Machine became this series where we were documenting what was happening inside the studio. People are way more engaged with that than they were with like the final product. And I think that's right. just because humans are interested in other connection. Humans. Yeah. Connection. Right. So, exactly. So the positive side of me being a personality means I draw in con contracts. I draw in clients. I draw in relationships with people mm -hmm. and everyone that I meet through this kind of stuff, I end up collaborating with. So right. in that way, it's great because there's a human face to the company and there's a human person that's actually right. reaching out. The, the, pro, the, 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 less positive side of it is the burden that you carry on your shoulders as as that and mm -hmm. i think moving into directing which is what i really want to do um i get so much anxiety before i put something out because i'm so worried does this align with every single one of my values or every single one of the things that i put in front of the people on my public platform um because i don't always want to make it's not that i don't want to make content that's not aligned with my values it's just that I don't want to always make sure I'm doing the right thing, if that makes sense. Sometimes right. you just want to make You want to fuck art. up, you want to, yeah, you want to experience Yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, you make something and it, you didn't intend for it to have that uh, response, but someone can easily read into something that you've made something negative. So I think also like cancel culture is one of the things I'm really afraid of because when something goes wrong, people really come for that person. And I think that's the one thing with social media now is like, you really don't want to step the wrong foot out because it can ruin your whole career and it can ruin your business if you accidentally did something that was taken the wrong way. Right. 
Man, no, yeah. it's yeah, it was just a curious question because it's our first time like getting in front of the the camera as a brand. Like we didn't have a face to the brand until pretty much this quarantine, to be honest. Like yeah. it kind of made us adapt yeah. differently. Yeah. And we're like, oh, yeah. let's do these lives. And it's kind of like our first time like yeah. putting a face to it. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like always having the discussion, like, oh, like, like, yeah, how does this work? You know, this like do we Yeah, so it's, it's always like that self-conscious thing where before it was just like you're hiding behind a brand yeah. so it's, yeah. it's almost like a wall that you could but i feel like without that wall you're able to connect more with people and individuals you know and, totally. and get to the I core think, of things absolutely i think there's amazing <laughs> positives but there's a huge amount of responsibility that comes with mm -hmm. it so like are right. you ready for responsibility and are you also ready for what it's going to do to your mental health essentially like for me right. the big thing is like I think I come off as a really confident person and I think I come off as someone that's very certain about who I am. Again, this came up in the podcast and he's like, oh, you, you really know who you are. And I'm like, I don't know that I do. Like, I do know who I am to an extent, but it's really scary having a platform where everything you do, people are watching and, and analyzing. And also, yeah. if you're someone like me that I do really care about what people think, it can really affect your sense of self as well. So it's just kind of like, yeah. if you're going to make a personal brand, be ready. Yeah. That can maybe affect your mental health. <laughs> that's it. Take care of your well being. Drink your celery juice. And yeah, Drink your celery juice. Drink <laughs> yeah, with some apples, please. Next time. <laughs> next morning. No, I think you had a couple more questions too, huh? After the, the show. Um, yeah, yeah. Coming back to the whole team thing, you know, like many photographers, like they always work on the go. Like they have a gig. And they they book like the makeup artist or the brand book the makeup artist and the stylist, you know. You decided that it was better to have a team, you know, and keep working with that team, you know. Yeah. I think like many photographers would like to know why is that maybe it's not like the like it's not the right thing to do. And I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do, you must do that, you know. But uh I feel that like that it's better when you have a team, you know, and like they work and be more consistent, you know. Like, what's your opinion on that? I totally agree. Like I said, it's actually funny that you guys found that video from ages ago where I talk about how I didn't want to be Yasmin's strategic photography. Oh, yeah. um, I, was like, <laughs> I would have been like, yeah, 22, 23 in that video. Yeah. I'm 28 now, which is fucked to think about. <laughs> but um, it was funny that even at that time I was like, I don't want to do this on my own. I'm just, I'm such a people person, as I was saying. And I think that my work is as good as the people I work with, honestly. Like, mm -hmm. who am I on my yeah. own? You know, I, I can go out and take photos on my own, sure. But I don't get nearly as much joy as when I work with a team. And then even from photography into filmmaking, filmmaking jumps to a team, of, you know, sometimes 30, 40, 50 people in our little small production where like I'm directing music videos now. It's a collective effort and I could never create something of that quality without that team. Microsoft, we were about a team of 30 people volunteering their time to make something we saw, happen. We saw that. The credit list were like, oh, damn. Yeah, so yeah. From everything from, everything from pre-production through to being yeah. on set through to post-production and all the little elements. Like a cinematographer doesn't work on their own. A cinematographer works with an AC and a gaffer and it's just like yeah. people think you just get footage. It's like you don't just get footage. Um, it, it's, it's a team around you and, and a lot of the time those people don't necessarily get the credits um, because they're part of a unit. You're all kind of little units. So for me, a team is of primary importance and particularly with photography and maybe it's because, I, like I said, you know, I don't value my work as 
an individual. I value my work as a collective. As a collective. Um, and maybe that's just yeah. how I think. Not everybody thinks like that. Some yeah. people are solo artists. Some people work better on their own. But I think, you know how they say there's different personality types? I'm that personality type that that really thrives off energy and people. Yeah. <laughs> Some other people are, thrive off of being on their own. So it really, I think it really depends on the individual. And it yeah. depends on how you want your work to speak. Like everything I do is about the community as far as like, I want to speak to people and I want to speak to what's going on right now. I don't want to make art in, in a bubble that, you know, it's, it's the inner workings of my psyche kind of thing. Right. And yeah. how do you, yeah. how do you manage all these things? Like that's the biggest question I have. Um, I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that's the secret celery juice everyone celery <laughs> juice i'm actually a vampire and i don't sleep um, i knew no. it <laughs> superpowers no i i just um how do i manage it i think because from a from a young age i was used to really thinking proactively and i was used mm -hmm. to being like i don't get work until i make work so it's like when you already train your brain to think like that, you're not waiting for someone to give you instructions. You're like, okay, right. what next? You know, like when all this, when all this pandemic stuff happened at first, I was like, oh my God, my whole world has crumbled around me. But then I was like, wait, Yasmin, you have a brain, you know how to use it laterally. You know how to problem solve, come up with something and do it. And so that's mm -hmm. what, and that's what I did. And that's where I'm at now. And it's like, as much as my work has stopped, what has come out of this is the roots of exactly what I love, which is connecting with people. And I know that when we come out of this, that will generate even more interesting work. Like even making connection with you guys and you guys yeah. are in Canada, like yeah. crazy. That's you beautiful. are in Canada, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, you got that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like reading like, oh. the flag and I'm like, I got the country wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't that, that makes sense. It's like the, the instincts of just, yeah, just making the work. Like you don't have work, so you got to go get the work, you know? And then you once you it. have that kind of mentality, you're able to move forward with that same mindset every yeah. time you're put in that position, you know, where you could just get out of it and just, yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's what mm -hmm. life is. You're constantly having to adapt. You're constantly having to pivot. Yeah. Um, and I said, <laughs> I, I said this a couple of times, but like I had a lecturer at uni um, who said to me, you know, because we used to get a lot of flack for doing an arts degree, you know, oh, an arts degree, that's right. not a real degree. Go get a real job. Um, and like one of, one of my first lectures was was very cynical, and he was like, "Welcome to media arts and production. Ninety nine percent of you will end up waiting tables, so have a great time." And I was right. like, "What?" And then I had this amazing tutor who actually said to me, "You know, you guys are the future because to be able to think laterally, to be able to think creatively, to be able to adapt to whatever's mm. going on." is going to be a very important skill for survival in the future. And had we known that stuff like this was going to happen, I mean, one of his first points to make, and again, I was 21 at this time, so that's eight years wow. ago. He was like, um, you know, the first jobs to be replaced by AI are the ones that are, that are laboring jobs. So if you have the ability to think not like a robot or like, you know, what a mm -hmm. robot can't do, then, then that's going to be a really important skill to have. So, um, yeah, I mean, not to say that laboring jobs don't mean anything, but he was just kind of like the flip side of this argument, as far as people saying, get a real job is what is a real job? in the future we're, we're creating different jobs we're every creating day. new jobs every yeah, yeah. Under, yeah especially in 2020 it's like yeah, yeah. it's it's insane yeah yasmin when you have a gig when you have a contract right um how do you come with a whole creative direction yes so or what's um, your process 
I literally go back to what I was like at uni. So I'll get a brief and for example, it'll say something like, um, you know, I, I actually send out a briefing document now. So the first time when a client contacts me, I will send back a word document that asks mm -hmm. lots of questions. It's like, who's your audience? What's your aim? What's your ethos? All of these things that I need to then start yeah. formulating. Because I think a lot of the times clients mm. don't come to you with enough for you to grab onto. And then yeah, it's really yeah. hard because it's like if you're giving someone an open open book and an open slate open brief it's incredibly hard to be creative when you've got everything there you know yeah. you, need, you need parameters right yeah brands just approach like i want your photos that's it you know i need photos oh yeah or just like hey i know <laughs> we need some cool hip content for young yeah. <laughs> like what like um, you should film any like film photography style you know vintage you yeah know? Like, bro. and you're like Film huh. photography isn't a brief, like that's just a medium. It's not it's like it, a brief, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, okay. So anyway, that's I'll go true. back to the, this briefing document, ask them to answer a lot more questions, which will get then give me like a, a company profile and it'll give me an idea of who they're trying to reach, etc. So then first thing I'll do is start investigating their audience. Majority of the briefs I get are like 18 to 25 young people. We want to target them. And a lot of it's towards women because I obviously am a big advocate of creating opportunities for women. Mm. So I'll think about the audience and I'll think about who I know that fits that character profile for that audience and I'll start investigating what they're engaging with and what they're looking at. Then from there, I'll look at the visual stimulus they've given me because I'll ask them for like uh, inspirational images or whatever, start researching that. Then that's when I really start drawing back on the stuff that I learned at uni. So like I said, I did um, film theory for three years, which was like intense analysis of lots of different directors, movements in film, things like dogma Whoa. as a movement, um, directed like Spanish film directors like Pedro Almodovar and then looking at Chinese cinema, all that sort of stuff like Wong Kar Wai. And then I'll go back into my archives and think, mm. is there anywhere that I can start making these brain connections? Oh, okay. They asked for like lots of lush pop colors. And then I'll think Pedro Almodovar and total cinema and the way that- so just knowing different styles. So then you're able yeah, to- and Yeah. So I think that a great, I think that a great director is someone who has a bank of resources in their mm -hmm. brain and a bank mm -hmm. of knowledge. And I think what is a, what I think is a great skill that I've developed is the ability to really see the world, really look at things. Like, I mean, you know, I talked yesterday Open about being eyes, a yeah. I'm, so, I'm a people watcher and I think because I'm indoors now, it's like I'm watching online. I'm watching people online, yeah. which is why I think people are like, oh, you have adapted so quickly. It's not that I've adapted so quickly, it's that I'm just genuinely really fascinated in people and trends and how people interact. So whether it's outside on the street or whether it's indoors here, I'm observing how people are interacting. So um, yeah, so basically I'll then draw on all these references and I start with a massive mind map. So usually I'll do that in Pinterest or I'll put together a folder of imagery and I'll just start dragging things in. This kind of makes sense, this kind of makes sense. That's the best and then I'll way, start, yeah. Then I'll start further categorizing. So I start massive, then I'll start further categorizing and go, this image relates to the color palette. This image relates to the mood. This image relates to the composition. This mm. store, you know, and then start categorizing it. Then I'll go into Canva, which is an on online software. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know how to use Illustrator and stuff. And so Canva is <laughs> a really easy way That's of putting best. together. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I'll just, I've got my, I've made my college machine template and I'll start working through my templates. So the first thing I'll do is copy over from the brief, the specific category. So it'd be like 
the aim, the audience, the inspo, and start just feeding my references in as I've categorized them. Then all of a sudden you've got this PDF that starts to flow and then you start getting a bigger picture. So I, I like to see it as kind of like this puzzle. So there's just shit everywhere. And then I take one piece <laughs> and I put it there. And then I take one piece and I put it there. And then before you know it, you started making a part of the puzzle right. and that becomes the treatment that you send back and then you finally export a PDF and you send it to the client and there you go. I just, I wow. just feel like I just took a class. I I'm not a Virgo, Virgo, by the way. I'm a no, no, we <laughs> are the Virgos. We're, we're Virgos. We are the Virgos. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Virgos, you, you guys would love that because you guys are so organized. Virgos are so mm. like, yeah, which is yeah, not yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> See, Sag, Sag just like, you know, whatever. And I think that like a lot of the time I actually don't think things through very much. Like I'll just be like, I want to do this, I'm going to do it, boom, let's do it. And then, and I'll look back on it and be like, oh, I probably should have refined that a little bit. Like I am not a perfectionist actually, mm. which, which I think people would think that I'm a perfectionist, but I am actually far from a perfectionist. And I'm so willing to acknowledge mistakes that I've made as well. Like I, I, I just, I'm the kind of person that's just kind of like, just do it and I think I'm not good, afraid though. of mistakes. Yeah, um, I, I, it is good. It is good in some ways, but then you've got other artists like some of the people <laughs> who I really admire are so methodical and such perfectionists, almost to the point where they actually don't ever release any work. And so I have friends who have the most incredible work on their laptop, the most incredible manuscript for a, for a, for a book or a film, but nobody has seen it and I've seen it and I'm like, why don't you publish this? And they're just like, no, it's not good enough. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. And I'm like, damn, like I've posted shit before that I know isn't perfect, but I'm just like, this just is how I'm feeling right yeah. now. And yeah. I think there's, there's a fine line you've got to juggle between, I think um, my work has a sense of like immediacy. It's like, I did it, I shot it, here it is, you know? And, and that's how I felt right then and there. Whereas people who really sit and mull over their work, I think uh, develop very, very strong skills, but maybe lack that, kind of immediacy and that connection and that spirit which comes with you know just just doing it so yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. A balancing act i'm trying to learn to be more like a virgo and more <laughs> an analytical and more like stop fucking jumping into shit but then i think other people are probably like i wish i had a bit more of that as well so yeah it's a balancing act a balance of things yeah man this this did i ask you a question fun. yeah <laughs> Yo, this so, is, I'm, so, I'm just really intrigued with your whole, the whole universe that you've created with, with all of this. This whole project is just super inspiring, honestly, just as two creatives, always uh, looking to, you know, taking things to the next level and just looking to build uh, what we're building right now. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's really amazing to see an independent woman like you to, you know, just pursue what you want to do. You're, Thank you're, you, Beyonce. You're killing it. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 keep it up. And um, uh, I definitely want to jump into like some Q and A's soon. Yeah, she has a question. She has a question. Yeah. Oh yeah. Two. Go go go. Who has a question? <laughs> I don't know. You had a question for us, no? Oh, I don't know. Did I? I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> I just got nervous. Okay. Oh, like, no, I, 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 like, I was like, no, I was like, did I answer your question? I feel like in I'm my mind, in my mind, I was like, Ben, shut up, bro. She has a question, man. Oh, <laughs> Oh. <laughs> no, I need to shut up. <laughs> no, it wasn't. My English pretty sucks. Yeah, I know, I know some people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, I know some people might have some questions. We have, actually have a couple questions, too, that came from the community. So yeah. uh, let, me, let me check. Let me check into this. But, uh, yeah, thanks again for, for doing this with us.
Oh, and this is so exciting for me. I'm like, woo, I got to get dressed and have a conversation. And yeah. Have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw her makeup. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I've put, I've put some, um, I saw some highlighter on. Oh, okay. here comes a question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, that's fun. Okay. How do you get more jobs at first <laughs> in order to work your way up in the photography world? Um, okay, how do you get jobs? So you get jobs out of obviously having a, a portfolio. So number one for a photographer starting out, start shooting, start testing, start experimenting. Great. Because you need to show people what you can do. Basically, I was told um, clients aren't going out of their way to try and find you. You need to show them what they want. So primary importance is develop who you are as an artist, develop yourself as a brand. If you don't want to be the face of your brand, that's fine. Make sure that your work has a definitive aesthetic and is a brand of its own. So start mm. by doing that. Then people will start to take notice because if, if it makes sense and it's impacting, people will like it. That's the other thing I have to say to people is just kind of like, oftentimes the first question people ask me is, how do I build a social media profile? Don't make that your priority. No, the first thing you need to do is, who am I as an artist? What yeah. am I trying to do? What am I trying to make? Don't okay, jump content. the gun. Like, the first step is discovering what you're trying to do. The next step is marketing it. But you'll find that once you start doing step one, you'll already have started garnering interest, which will help you in step two. Like, how are you supposed to start a social media profile and market yourself when you don't have the work to market, you know? Right. So that's the second side of it. Then once you've got your work and you're, you're, you're confident with what you're trying to do, start reaching out to people you admire. Offer your skills to them. Offer to collaborate. Even just send them a message. Hey, I really admire you. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to go for coffee. Honestly, this, I've said the amount of people I've just caught up with for coffee because they've been like, hey, I'm interested in what you do. I'm so open to that. Not everybody is, but you don't lose right. anything by asking. Just ask. Then um, from there, I'm sure you'll come into some collaborations. Once you start collaborating and people like you, and the other big piece of advice I have, it's a lot about who you are as a person and it's a lot about how easy you are to work with. So don't get on set with an attitude and all that sort of stuff because you genuinely just won't get hired again. <laughs> like the other that. thing is like, I am less interested in someone's portfolio at first and more interested in their personality, their ethos, their enthusiasm. So the majority of the people I hire and I work with of course, I love their work, but more than anything, I love their presence and I love right. the way that we can move together. So oftentimes I'll work with people at right at the beginning of their career. Like Isabella, I started working with when she was 18. She's one of the stylists I work with and I, she's incredible. I love her work. And to work with someone so young at the beginning of the career, for me, was like so much about her work ethic. She was just like so reliable, so onto it. And then, you know, has grown into this incredible, incredible stylist that's working all the time. So it's like, um, it's, it's about your portfolio, but it's also about your personality. And it's about how willing you are to work. Because I think, unfortunately, sometimes people do it for the wrong intentions. If you're just on set to get some behind the scenes footage or just to show people who you were with, it's probably not going to go very far for you. Right. But if you're on set and you want to learn and you're enthusiastic and you're asking, mm -hmm. how can I help? How can I learn? you'll get more jobs. So the other thing about this industry, it's word of mouth. You can promote as much as you want online, but a lot of my work comes from word of mouth and from existing relationships with people, and then they want to keep working with you. So those are my four tips. Thanks. Portfolio, brand yourself, start assisting and collaborating, and make sure you have a good attitude for four things. Four tips. You heard it from teacher Yasmin. <laughs> <laughs> would you would you teach a uh, a class? Would you ever teach? 
or give a workshop. I would love to. You know what's really weird about this whole time? I feel like a tutor at uni. Like when everyone's submitting me their ISO projects, they're like, oh, should I go in this direction? Should I go in this direction? I'm like, oh, I love your ethos here. And I'm like, I'm acting like a tutor and I'm kind of loving it. Like maybe I should have gone into like education or something. Yeah. No, I could, I could totally see you do that. Um, there's a couple more questions. How to not burn out of different obligations in life? <laughs> um, okay, how to not burn out. Um, well, Daily reviews. <laughs> I, I burn out a lot. Okay, so my main way of burning out is obviously not sleeping and drinking too much coffee. So number one way of not burning out is making sure that you have a good self-care routine and self-care is a real trend word these days but honestly for your mental health and your ability to create the best work have a routine in your life so even though my schedule kind of goes all over the place and especially now that i'm <laughs> juggling all these time zones um you need to have some sort of routine every single day so for me it's celery juice and it used to be going to the gym and then starting my day from there so just make yeah. sure that you have those practices where you're looking after your health because really and as we know mm. from this pandemic your health is of number one importance before anything else 100%. making sure that your immunity is strong that you're eating fruit fresh fruit and veggies that you're exercising obviously the kind of situation at the moment is making that kind of harder but my main yeah piece of advice for not burning out is keeping your health right and that's mental health and physical mm. health um and then also second to that is for me i'm really lucky to have a very tight knit group of friends that that keep right. me sane. so when i'm starting to feel like i'm burning out or i'm starting to feel because i get quite down sometimes and i'll have to just take a break and talk to them so yeah friends and good food and self-care self-care yeah, yeah have a balance <laughs> in your life that's amazing yeah, yeah. Uh, we got another one from. No, let's not. No, we're not gonna say the name of the account. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, uh, Yasmin, what advice would you give to a young creative struggling to market themselves as an artist? <clears throat> struggling to market yourself. Okay, this is a. It's a very very difficult time to mm -hmm. be an artist in the sense that the it's very oversaturated and as yeah. you've seen with the pandemic obviously everyone's indoors everyone's getting back in touch with their painting and their drawing and their music and this and that and it's we're getting which i think is awesome but it's also overwhelming so i think yes at this point in time it's very hard to think about marketing yourself if you haven't already developed a platform so to that i would say go back to my original advice and use this time to really develop your portfolio, really research, upskill, watch mm. as many things as you can, learn. Because when we come out of this, hopefully soon, that's when you can start thinking about marketing. For now, it's really, really important to know who you are as an artist. Because like I said, it's, it's a real synergy between the two. There's no point in marketing a product that doesn't have depth. There's no part, there's no point building a house when you don't have any stability at the bottom of it, foundation. Any, structure at the bottom, any foundation and the foundation mm. is your work and who you are as an artist and then the walls that come up and the roof is the marketing side of it you need one before you get the other right wow anyone else have some questions for yasmin oh we still have to send them in oh yeah we do so, yeah all right let's go through some of these i think some <laughs> <laughs> yeah someone said are you still work or are you still working on new music I don't know. Do you do you have a hidden talent? Do you do music? music? Do you do music? I, I was not be surprised. My old followers <laughs> know. Yes, <laughs> but 
I get, to be honest, I get nervous about talking about things that I do because I, I feel, I feel kind of like, um, arrogant, like, do you know what I mean? To be like, oh yeah, I sing like, oh, yeah, like, cause it's, it's something. And I think it's like, I think it's yeah. something that I'd like to do in my spare time as well. I think the other piece of advice I would give people is when you choose the creative industries for your career and, and that's something that you love doing, when you turn your vocation into your career, really make sure that you're ready to do go away. If you really want to find some archives of young Yasmin in her bedroom on YouTube singing, there is there stuff go. on the internet that I have not been able to remove. She's going to post it on her story, everyone. So if, be ready. if you're good enough at digging, you will find videos of 16 year old Yasmin singing Lauren Hill in her bedroom. Um, there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and so basically what I had to realize, like, I love singing and I love music, but I also have so much respect for musicians and so much respect for what they do. So right. I would never, I don't, well, at this point in my life, it's not something I would want to pursue as a career right. um, because I'm just kind of like also singing for me is something I do for my soul and something I do in my, the privacy of my home. And I think if I started publishing that as well, not only would I feel like I'm kind of, it would be kind of arrogant to be like, anyway, so I sing. Um, but I think also uh, it, would ruin, it would ruin like what, the way I feel about it, which is right. the thing about photography too. Like photography started off as a passion for me and I've for sure been into those ruts where I'm like, I don't want to pick up a camera because yeah. when you turn it into your career, it changes the way you see that thing. It's not this thing that you do because you love doing it in your spare time. It's this thing that you do because you feel like now I'm a photographer. I've got to keep putting out work all the time, which is, I think what would happen when I did explore music much earlier on, I was 16 when I went for Australian Idol, I was just like, not ready for how emotionally like draining it would be turning something that i just love mm. doing in my bedroom into into a career a and profession. also copying that like criticism because when you put yourself out there you are going to be criticized like straight up and if if you love what you do so much and you want to make that your life you'll be able to adapt to the criticism but for me i'm so sensitive about singing and music because it's like it's personal that i don't know I, right. I don't think i can handle people critiquing me critique my photos like whatever if you hate my work cool but if, <laughs> yeah. if you don't like me singing i would be pretty mm. upset about that. <laughs> that makes sense i get it i get it so they have what do you think is next for you what do you want to accomplish after this quarantine? yeah like even long term yes you, know, you have a you have talent a agency yeah. production team production agency studio, studio. What's so next? what's next, no? I don't know, but this is keeping me inspired because honestly, when this first happened, I definitely had a massive dip in my emotional state and I actually deactivated my Instagram account for like 10 hours um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and was like, I have no reason to be around. I don't exist. I'm irrelevant. Deactivating. I'm going to go offline. I'm going to ruin everything. You know, I was like, gosh, machine's dead. The studio's closed. Bye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was my emotional response to it. But on a, on a realistic level, um, the studio is something that I'm have to, I'm obviously, you know, financially is going to be very hard to keep it open. Like for the next yeah, three months, yeah. we're going to, realistically, there's going to be no work in there because we like, because of the legalities, obviously right. because of people's health, but just because um, people are so fearful at the moment, like even, even a test shoot, people are scared, um, even if it's one-on-one, -on -one, because we just don't understand what's going on. We don't understand how much danger we're putting ourselves right. into. So 
I'm very, I understand that for the next three months, the studio is going to be empty. So I'm at the point mm -hmm. now, like, as we were saying, where I'm trying to evolve and innovate and figure out what to do with it. That's it is good. such a shame because I have built a real, the whole point of it was to build a physical community and a physical space, which I've done for the last, it's, we're coming up to like 10 months now of having a studio. No um, way. Wow. So if I, if I have to let that space go, then I have to let that space go. But I did sort of see it as this like 12 month project anyway, to be honest. So I'm not right. going to beat myself up if it doesn't follow through. But in saying that, you know, I am pretty hopeful that there is such a support that I could probably keep it going, maybe go to a different space once everything's died down. So studio wise, not sure. Culture machine wise, I'm obviously trying my best to brainstorm ways of continuing to have a community projects like this. Um, really, right. really connecting with my international network at the moment, which has been so humbling. Like re remembering that, cause I keep in touch with everyone I've met on my travels. And I had Amazing. like a, a three hour chat with this guy, Dev, who I met in New York, who owned the lab wow. in New York and was the reason why I did my first ever exhibition. And we had this three hour chat catching up with each other and talking about formats in the future and digital and AI and all this stuff. So these come, I'm basically using this time to have lots of conversations about the type of content College Machine can be making and how we can adapt. And again, like mm. my primary goal is always to speak to the community around me. And I think that community is also really focusing on the youth and focusing on creatives. Um, and I think like, I read an article yesterday from Days and Confused that was like, the concern is what happens to culture when everything stops like this? You know, like I, I actually, I've been thinking a lot about kids that are like in high school at the moment and looking forward to graduation or looking forward to their formals. And it might sound really superficial on the surface, but what happens when the only thing we can talk about is coronavirus? What happens when, you know, mm. so, but I think like my friend G who's the actor, she was like, I actually see so much potential in this time because we're going to have people creating incredible work while they're in isolation. So once we come right. out, it's going to be a very interesting world to live in. So mm. in terms of coach machine, I'm just going to keep, I'm, I'm always studying and I'm always looking at what people are doing and how I can respond and whatever. So I'm also very open to briefs, as I said, and pitches. So I'll just be doing whatever I can for my laptop. That's it. Um, yeah. And then in terms of like my career, I guess I'm, I don't know if people like hearing me talk, but I, I talk a lot. And <laughs> since this has happened, I've been talking a shit ton. So yeah. I don't know, maybe if, but then I'm also like, is, this, is, is it just a temporary thing? And I'm, are people going to get overhearing my voice? So I don't know. Man. Yeah. Adapting. That's yeah. hundred. We just got like a shitload of questions that came in. So oh. give me <laughs> Do you, you still have some time? You're good? Yeah, I've got all the yeah. time in the world. Cool, cool. Uh, okay, so we got, what's one piece of advice you would give to yourself from eight, eight years ago at age 20? I'm glad you did the maths there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would I give myself eight years ago at the age of 20? At the age of 20, I would say to myself, Yasmin, you're about to go on a roller coaster of a journey, but <laughs> nobody changed the world by following the rules. Nobody what? changed the world by caring so much about other people and what they think about you. Mm. If you are true to yourself and your goals, if, if other people want to tear you down and critique you for that, that's fine. But if taking that away from you takes away your sense of purpose, then those people have absolutely no right to do that to you. Like the thing for me is preach, is, preach. Yeah. I'm just like, cause <laughs> I get, I go through it a lot and I, yeah. I, I go, again, having a public profile, 
Half of the people are going to love you, half of the people are going to hate you. I remember actually getting a call from a photographer that I really admired like ages ago when I was really, really young. And he was like, yeah, so, you know, I kind of hate Coach Machine. I hate your work, but you're getting some traction. So I feel like I should shoot you or something and all your little mates. And it was like this really strangely condescending backhanded compliment where he was like, <laughs> I hate your work, but you've got traction. And I was like, what? Um, and it's uh, like that really affects me a lot. But then I was just kind of like, you know, especially in this time of quarantine, if you take everything away from me, I'm a shell of a person if I don't create this kind of content. I'm not doing it for people's approval. I'm doing it because I love people and I love conversations. That's, That's what keeps me saying. So what I would say to 20 year old Yasmin is absolutely listen to what people have to say and take on feedback. That's part of growing. But if that feedback attacks the core of who you are as a person, it's not feedback you need to take on. Mm. That's some game. You need your own podcast. <laughs> by the way, by the way, even he's a model from Montreal. If you ever come to Canada, I recommend you to work with him. He's so beautiful, such a sweet person, and he's. I really want to come to Canada. I was actually just talking to one of my friends, Tom Brooks, who's a cinematographer, and he was just there or something, and he was like, nice. "The film industry in Canada is amazing. What they're making, all these productions." Sure. Yeah, so you I've would been love Montreal. About Canada. Yeah, you would love Montreal. Oh, we don't drink yeah. celery juice here. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't sell I'll bring the celery with No, me. no, it's fine. You don't need to. <laughs> God, what do you do to keep your creative juices flowing when you're in oh the rut? <laughs> How do you keep yourself motiv motivated to finish the projects? Or the... Uh, you start. How do I keep myself motivated? Um... Like I said, yeah, because because I trained my brain to think very early on, like right. you only have work as long as you fight for work, then that's what keeps me motivated. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm not waiting for someone to go call better. me. I'm mm -hmm. calling them. So, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, anyone else? Okay, that's, yeah. Oh, that question. <laughs> We're going deep. What, what inspires me? <laughs> Um, what inspires me is people, obviously, um, my friends said, sounds really, really cliche, but, uh, what inspires me on a deeper level is like I said, this thirst for knowledge. I am so, I'm like a sponge. I'm like, tell me something new. Tell me something to learn. Like, I want to know, you know, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't, um, like, it's funny because I've started reading a lot more in this time. And my friend Bella is, she, she reads a lot of, um, fiction and I read only nonfiction. Like I had to look at the stack of my books by my bed because we were going to do a book swap. And she was like, nice. all of your, all of your books are about intellectualizing life. Like I'm like reading about social trends. I'm reading about anthropology. I'm reading about, but I hardly ever pick up a book. That's like a, a fantasy novel or like a sci-fi or even just a book. That's not about analyzing something. So I have a very, very thirsty brain that likes to learn things. Curious. Um, yeah. Book recommendations. I mean, look, I shout out Malcolm Gladwell a lot. Mm. I love him. He's great. But um, yeah, uh, David and Goliath and is, is a book about the underdog and seeing the potential in things that are normally seen as weaknesses, which I think is really interesting. Um, obviously, The Tipping Point was a book about social trends. He's also um, got a book called Blink, which is about intuition. And where I have that one. Where, I haven't read it yet, but yeah, I have to dig into that. It's great because it looks at, because he comes from a quite a scientific point of view, um, mm -hmm. and he looks at whether or not, you know, we can actually 
place intuition and science on the same level and he looks at some real interesting cases where they where intuition actually overrode science and uh and and all that sort of stuff so um that's a really great book he's also got a podcast called revisionist history where he unpacks yeah it's a great podcast in a really great format he's also a really easy person to listen to explains complex concepts in a really easy way um and he looks at case studies throughout history where we may have been misinformed about something because i'm also very interested in history and what history is and what we know because i'm very interested in truth and appearance of truth and one of the things i talked about with dev the other day was um the truth that is placed on photos so we talked about the difference between paintings and photography and how people will receive a photo and immediately think it's truth but when then you look at a painting it's not it's not necessarily seen as immediate truth and the difficulty in that is when you look at photojournalism and the media and we accept things as truth straight away because it's an image or because it's placed on this platform that's called the news but what is truth and then history what's the true story and who was telling that story Mm -hmm. so that's why revisionist history for me is so interesting because it's like well there's been a certain type of community that dialogue writing history Mm -hmm. yeah right so those are my book recommendations um also i met an author at a house party three months ago when we were allowed to go to house parties and she's an australian author that's written a book called oh my god it's in my room anyway her name's sophie hardcastle and i'm reading that at the moment which is the first non-fiction book i've re- read in a very long time and i'm loving it amazing we'll take we'll take three more questions let's see what we have we have a lot <laughs> uh let's pick the best ones yes this is fun yes. throw something crazy at me crazy okay let's let's throw find something crazy, crazy. All right. Uh, this one. Who are your role models? Um, I have different role models for different things. Like on a, on a, on a basic. Is that oh, okay? I was like, are you guys? <laughs> um. Sorry, a, we're we're looking through the questions. My bad. Okay. My bad. <laughs> um. So my role models, obviously. Okay, I'll, I'll do it chapter wise. So childhood role models, obviously my mum. Her work ethic is like no one I have ever come across. Like my mom, I've seen her just dedicate her life to work. And she's the kind of person, if she says she's going to do something, she's going to fucking do it. And nothing will stop her. She's an Aries and you can tell her it's not going to work. It doesn't make sense. It's a bad idea. And she will trust her gut and she'll go, I don't care what she's saying, I'm doing it. And then six years down the track, she's got like the most successful cafe in Bali. So that was my first role model. Um, In terms of other role models, um, I think uh, just like the idea of being really true to who you are. It's not a very abstract way of answering this question, but it's kind of like, you sort of want to make yourself your own role model, I think. Like, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, like if you're trying to base yourself off of somebody else, you're inevitably going to kind of fail because you can't be somebody else. Exactly. And for sure, it's great to aspire to other people. But I think I've tried to aspire more to certain principles and apply them to myself rather than certain people. So right. um, being authentic in who in what you believe in and how you communicate with people that doesn't mean always being right and that doesn't always mean not being able to change your mind because we're human mm-hmm. and we're valuable. but at that time have the courage of your conviction sort of thing and constantly work on yourself you know personal yeah. growth goes a long way yeah learn yeah. about yourself yeah i agree 
You want to pick the next one? Sure, man. Two more, guys. Yeah. Two more. This is fun. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Oh. Oh, Diplo just started a live video. Ooh. Maybe I'll join. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yaz, what's something you regret not having done? Mm. There we go. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just trying to think things I regret. Um, fuck. I, I feel like I regret a lot of things, but then I just laugh about it and just go like, oh well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. in like career-wise, we talked about singing and music before. A part of me regrets that. A part of me regrets kind of being so broken and throwing the towel in. Um, I started. Like I was, I grew up singing. I was in the like gospel choirs and I was doing a Steadfords and stuff. And Lauren Hill was my greatest idol. And of course I loved soul music and Aretha Franklin and going all, all the way back to that sort of stuff. And then moving forward, I loved Amy Winehouse and those kinds of soul voices. And that I don't think like they're still around, but, but people were, became less interested in soul and R and B. I think for, for, for the time I was growing up, it was kind of like, really like not trendy to be listening to soul and R&B when I was a kid and people were going more into like pop and techno and trance and whatever. So the time at which I was singing and really invested in music was not the right time for that genre of music. Right. So uh, in a way, maybe I regret not pursuing singing, but at the same time, I don't regret it because now, like I said, I work with musicians and I make music videos. Look where you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, like I respect their craft so much. And the reason why I didn't pursue music is because I don't write music. I don't write at all. And I just felt like I was just a voice. <laughs> and it was just like, well, am I just doing karaoke? Because I'm not an artist if I'm just a voice kind of thing. Right. So, yes, I regret it, but also I don't sort of thing. Mm. Wow. How often? Okay. Things are about fun. to get real and deep, <laughs> people. I'm telling you. Can I, just, can I just show you something? Wait. Whoa, yeah. no! <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> this is gonna get deep. These are my sage things. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I believe in energy and That's I good. believe in the universe. Um, and I also was a big believer in astrology and crystals and all that shit. Okay, like I said, I grew up in Bali. <laughs> all I grew up in Bali, my dad's Balinese, and we grew up, you know, magic and spirit and energy and the concept of karma, very mm. much ingrained in the way that I was raised. In fact, I'm also wearing, because my other side is Greek, I'm wearing a mataiki, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is like the Greek evil eye, like it, it, it pushes away the evil eye. So right. one side of my family was obviously is Balinese and very interested in spirits and, and very much run on karma. You know, what, what you do, you get back, you know, you self-regulate, you don't want to do something bad. That's it. Back to you. The other side of my family is Greek and weirdly enough, there's like so polarizing where they are in the world, but very similar mentalities in a lot of ways. So my Greek, my, my Balinese grandfather is a priest, a holy priest, and my Greek grandmother had claimed to definitely have abilities to, um, what do you call it when you see into the future? I've just blanked. Um, um, <laughs> you just gave me a blank too. Um, like so fortune Greek, um, people? <laughs> so my Greek grandmother used to spit on me all the time, which you wouldn't be allowed to do in Corona times, but it would be things like, like someone it. would compliment me and she'd be like, 
<laughs> and like throw salt <laughs> over her shoulder and and I'm like, what are you doing? And she'd be like, oh, I'm getting rid of the evil eye because I think the, the way the Greeks understand or interpret it is like, if someone's like overly complimenting you, it's like they're putting a curse on you or something. Mm. Um, so there's that side of it. And then she would also read um, coffee, like the Turkish coffee, Greek Turkish coffee. Anyway, um, so, oh my God, she knew. So anyway, um, <laughs> that two sides of my family, very weirdly spiritual, uh, well, not weirdly, but spiritual but i wouldn't but i'm i don't identify as religious so my dad's side right. is hindu my greek side is greek orthodox um but i wouldn't decide describe myself as religious but i am very in touch with spirituality so right. um growing up in bali i have had reiki a number of times which is energy healing and i have had most incredible experiences from that and um also my great grandmother i wear her ring now she's she's obviously no longer around but i still feel her energy oh, and her spirit and i wear her ring so um in that way yes and i think in a lot of ways like touch wood i feel quite blessed with um luck and maybe that's the luck of the sagittarius um i don't believe that um I don't believe that life just hands you lucky things. I mm. think that if you put enough of the energy in the you work, create it. you create it. So, and I think if you have an open heart and an open soul, you are much more op open to receiving those things. Mm -hmm. So in that way, yes, uh, we were talking about signs, but I believe for sure in energy and what you put out, you get back in. In terms of signs and whether our life is predestined, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I've really wanted to see a fortune teller for the longest time, but I've also been really reluctant to do it because I don't know if I want to know. And I also don't know if just going to see someone just makes you a self-propelling prophecy, if that makes sense. Right. Um, but my mom used to always say everything happens for a reason, which I guess comes from that. But to an extent, I understand and I believe that saying, but I think it's less everything happens for a reason and more you'll find a way to figure out how to make this work in your life story later on. You will find a way to see that as a positive later on. So it's more the benefit and the, of hindsight. Once you've mm. gone through something hard, you can look back on it. Sure, you can maybe see it as a sign or you can see it as I'm in a new headspace now where I'm looking at this in a positive way. Right. That's beautiful. Whoa! I think that's a great way to, to, to cap this off. Yeah, that's. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a perfect that's an conclusion. Oh my God, that's so weird. I just pulled what? out of my pocket. What is it? Herbal Horace, an artist that's given me a, a, a business card when I was out, when the last time I wore these pants. And I think it's about spirituality and her. Anyway, read it, read just, it. <laughs> well, it just says Herbal Horace, and it's got herbal. Horace artist, uh, and I don't remember. I'm so obviously because I do this a lot. I meet people and I just get their business cards, and that was in my back pocket. So there we go. Yeah, I had a feeling to touch my back pocket. Then <laughs> is that a sign? Do I need to contact this person? You do. <laughs> Man, thank you so much for like thank doing this. Guys. Honestly, yeah, it's beautiful to to hear about your story. Super inspiring, and it was very valuable as well for our community. So, uh, yeah, all the best to you. Uh, Thank you so much. your voice and expressing yourself. Good luck with the studio. Yeah, good luck with everything. Thank you. Hopefully we'll, one we'll day you touch. can come and visit me and hopefully one day. For well, sure, one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. We got nice to meet you. Yeah. Nice, nice to meet, meet you. you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Bye.
Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We hope that you guys enjoyed it. I mean, we're just here stuck at home on our couches recording these class discussions with artists, creatives, and entrepreneurs with the purpose to inspire you guys. So subscribe, share, and, you know, send this to one of your favorite classmates. Stay home, guys. Stay safe. And stay tuned for some more class discussions with the Dean. 94. Much love. Peace. Done. Yeah, yeah. Hey, whoa, whoa. Little bitch, I went to public school, but I be flying private. I know you see my dick is winning, so you trying to grab it. But this shit ain't free. Wanna fuck me? You ain't gotta pay me. Call me Don on TLP. Let's be real, you never be my traffic. Cut it. Ain't wasting no time for your cushy. Ain't spending no money on your bullshit. Look, all your friends know it's fake cushy. You still be flexing on IG. I'm never going back like Bumby. Love it when it's dirty, not bullshit. Love it when it's dirty, not bullshit. Double M, triple M on my feet, nigga. I got trunk on my ribs. I'm too hot for freezing. Double L, triple M on my feet, nigga. I got trunk on my ribs. I'm too hot for freezing. Wallace. Little nigga don't add no questions, no questions. Expect no answers Whoa. If it ain't the money, I ain't answering Money talk And that nigga my best friend Pull it to our house, I'm smashing But I ain't crashing, crashing. Sex for real Play one game, I ain't playing no second I ain't staying, I'ma leave your waist resting That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah Little bitch, I hope you learn your lesson yeah, Like you can test it Whoa. the day after Whoa. ABC, no DEF Plus you can get on my nerves with that habit That's a bad thing But that shit be getting on my nerves Cause pussy average but she a bad thing. Whoa, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Hold up, one second. One second. Ass gotta be big facts, but that's just best if the Gucci on necklace. Drip. Even if you got them in like method, I'm shooting my shot for that ass, no plastic. Niggas suck, never bucked out friend. Pussy bomb, kamikaze landed. Hey. Little nigga don't add no questions. No question. Expect no answers. If it ain't the money, I ain't answering. Money talk. And that nigga my best friend. Pull it to our house, I'm smashing. But I ain't crashing, crashing. Sex for real. One game, I ain't playing no sex. Fact. I ain't staying, I'ma leave your waist resting. Double L, triple L. On my feet, nigga. I got trunk on my ribs. I'm too hot for freezing. Double L, triple M on my feet, nigga. I got trunk on my ribs. I'm too hot for freezing. Double L. No question. Triple M. No question. Double L. No question. No question. Hey. Triple M. Yeah. No question. Yeah. Don Wallace.